Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Journalists around the country covering protests against the police killing of George Floyd have been shot with rubber bullets, tear gassed, arrested, and reportedly assaulted by police. Advocates for journalists say there has been an unprecedented amount of violence against reporters and photographers this week, threatening the rights of a free press. Joining me to discuss police attacks on journalists is Joel Simon. He's executive director of the Committee to Protect Journalists. And welcome, Joel Simon. We're going to have Joel Simon with us momentarily. We have Barbara Davidson with us, I believe, now. She's a Pulitzer Prize-winning photographer, independent journalist. She was shoved by an officer while covering protests on Saturday in Los Angeles. Barbara Davidson, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to have you. And you're a pretty stellar and veteran figure in this world of freelance journalism. And I'm just wondering if you could tell the story for our listeners of what happened to you in many years that you've been involved. You've never felt attacked until, well, this protest in L.A. that you covered. Yeah, exactly. Certainly not in the United States. And uh, I was covering the protests on Saturday in uh, the Grove area, which is sort of, um, you know, a well-to-do area. And I don't think the police had control of the situation at all. And so their adrenaline was really pumped up. And when I went down a street to cover a burning car at the end of it, um, the police screamed at me, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. And I, I said, sir, I'm, I'm a journalist. He said, I don't care. Get out of here. And I said, sir, I pulled out my press pass to show him. I said, look, sir, I, I'm a journalist. I'm covering the story. And he said, I don't care. Get out of here. And as I turned around to walk away to get out of their way, he hit me from behind with his uh, baton and he shoved me so hard that I smashed into a fire hydrant falling to the ground and hitting the back of my head. And so that was a direct assault. He hit me from behind after I showed him my press card. I'm so sorry that you went through this. Uh, of course, the first question people asked you was, uh, why, did you, why didn't you get his badge number? You couldn't, though, I guess. Huh? No, I know a lot of people have asked me that, but it didn't feel to me that it was gr aggressive enough in the moment to warrant questioning him for his badge number, right? I just thought, it's heated, I'll move on. But he hit me from behind, and after he hit me, I fell to the ground. Um, these protesters scooped me up. They, they literally picked me up off the ground. I was completely dazed and confused. And I had no thought process of, I got to find out who that cop is. My head was hit quite hard. Well, again, I'm sorry you went through this. And uh, this gets us right to the concern about First Amendment and the press. Uh, there's a lot of concern now over the fact that um, the president certainly has spoken out about the press, the media being the enemy of the people, all of these kinds of things. Uh, I mean, as a veteran uh, journalist, how much do you think that plays into this attitude and what happened to you? 
Well, I mean, I think you can connect the dots, right? When you have the president of the country uh, declaring that journalists are enemy of the people, I think that resonates. And uh, I think what I saw from um, the police during this particular story was something I had never experienced before. So uh, there's, there's a direct link. And I think for this story in many ways, um, I think the police are actually very angry at the journalists and feel that we are uh, showing them in a bad light. But uh, it was really one of them that killed Mr. Floyd. So we're just doing our job and telling the story as it plays out. There are a few journalists uh, these days, excuse me, there are fewer journalists, though, that have really support of a newsroom because of the decline in newspapers. Does that factor into perhaps more difficulty or more volatility for journalists? As you oh, see? absolutely. Absolutely. Because photog freelance photographers, I can speak to that. Um, we don't have the infrastructure that staff journalists have. And I mean, I left my job at the Los Angeles Times three years ago to go freelance. I wanted to do different things. And I personally really feel the difference because I'm out in there in the street. If I get hit in the head with a rock, I don't call up the office and have um, any kind of benefits, right? So we're really out on our own and really risking our health in terms of there's also corona, the coronavirus that, that we are exposing ourselves to by being immersed in this kind of uh, story. And we don't have any infrastructure for anyone to take care of us. So if we're out, we're not paid. Barbara Davidson, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Have a wonderful day. And you too, Barbara Davidson is a Pulitzer Prize winning photographer, independent journalist, and as she described, she was shoved by an officer while covering protests in L.A. on Saturday. And let's bring Joel Simon. Joel Simon, let me say good morning to you. Let's bring you in. Good morning. Joel Simon is executive director of the Committee to Protect Journalists. And uh, let's start off by saying uh, these are being described as unprecedented, difficult times where journalists are concerned. What are we seeing? And uh, maybe you can also tell us uh, about the numbers of incidents that have occurred as you've been able to clock them. Sure. Uh, well, let me first start at, by describing the way in which we are going about uh, documenting the, the, the just the staggering number of press freedom incidents that are being reported um, across the country. So we work in partnership with something called the U.S. Press Freedom Tracker and U.S. Press Freedom Tracker Foundation. Which, uh, it, it, that's right. That's right. And yeah, I'm sorry, we're having some uh, connection you can, problems. You can here. look at the data right there. Sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, but you keep fading out for some reason. I don't know if it's the phone line. Or let me. Let me. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> no. Never have dead air when you're doing a live radio program. Uh, let me. Uh, I'm sorry, actually, I'm trying to get a better connection. Um, can you hear me? Now I can, yeah, and I hope it continues. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. So the uh, U.S. Press Freedom Tracker is a database and website. It's operated by the Freedom of the Press Foundation, which happens to be based in San Francisco. And we have been working with them to systematically document every single press freedom incident that is being reported. We have uh, currently calculated 279 different incidents, and those are spread throughout the country in 35 states, 53 separate locations. So this is a uh, something that certainly we've never seen. The data suggests that this is something that certainly since the civil rights movement in the 1960s, we've never seen the scale uh, of attacks against uh, journalists in the United States uh, 
Um, so we're living through a new moment, something that we have not witnessed before. But let me actually uh, go into these numbers a little bit because there have been reports of attacks on journalists by demonstrators and by vigilantes and so forth. Uh, are you separating the police yeah, well, let, me, let me give you the numbers. Again, these are based on reports, not on confirmed cases. We are, it's going to be a painstaking process that involves talking to every journalist, right. but these are initial reports. No, I understand that, but is there a separation between the reports involving cases, police officers versus citizen attacks yes, on journalists? Right. Let, me, let me get to that. So 45 arrests. <laughs> arrests are obviously the police. Of the 180 assaults that we've documented, 149 have been carried out by the police. So the vast majority of attacks are carried out by the police. Certainly there are attacks carried out by demonstrators, protesters. Those have occurred, but the vast majority of the violence committed against journalists is being perpetrated by the police. Well, I'm also struck by the fact that, uh, you know, there was a doctored video that I'm sure you're aware with about CNN with uh, uh, President Trump beating up someone who had a CNN logo over their face and uh, Oscar Jimenez of CNN and the whole CNN team were arrested. In fact, in Minneapolis, there was an apology tendered a as a result of that by the governor of Minnesota. But I'm just wondering, we talked about this at Barbara Davidson. I'd like to have your take on this too, how much this filters on down from the president and the rather harsh things he said about not only the media and the press, but that he said directly to reporters in press conferences and the like. Well, I think the president is throwing uh, gasoline on the fire, but I don't think he caused um, this problem, honestly. There's plenty that we can lay at uh, President Trump's feet. This is more complicated because the uh, treatment that journalists have received covering protests, we saw something similar at Ferguson. Eleven journalists were arrested. We saw something similar at Standing Rock. Uh, we saw something similar during the Occupy movement. The real issue here, I think, is a fundamentally local dynamic in which police are increasingly militarized. They're increasingly taking an extremely aggressive approach towards public protests. They're engaging in a technique called kettling, where they channel all the protesters into a specific area and then arrest large numbers of people. Journalists are getting caught up in that. That's been the case for a long time. Now, we've never seen protests on this scale. So obviously, there are more arrests. And the other thing that we've never seen that is new is the direct targeting of journalists. Now, these are based on allegations, but they're consistent and sustained across the country. We keep hearing stories from journalists who say they clearly identified themselves, they were visible because they were carrying cameras or wearing vests that identified them as journalists, and yet they were targeted with pepper spray, uh, rubber bullets, uh, beatings. So I really can't account for that. That's not something I've ever seen before. It's very alarming. It's widespread. I don't think you can say that individual uh, police are, are, are engaging in this behavior because of some, you know, because President Trump uh, denounced fake news. I think that it's really a function of this highly aggressive militarized style of policing that we see in communities throughout the country. Again, we're talking about police attacks on journalists during this week's protests. Uh, Joel Simon with us, and you can be with us as well. In fact, let me invite you to join us if you have questions or comments. We want to hear from you. You can give us a call right now at our toll-free number, the number to call, 866-733-6786. Join the program by calling us toll-free. 866-733-6786 is the number to call. And you can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email. Any questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. 
And please feel free again to bring your questions and comments to the fore here on police attacks on journalists during this week's protest. What do you think is behind them? And uh, Joel Simon certainly putting the emphasis on the militarization of police and uh, different attitudes with respect to police officers and uh, their attitudes toward protesters. Uh, I brought up the president's role in all this, and he said it's like more gasoline on the fire, but you may want to weigh in as well. Um, I'm wondering, uh, Joel Simon, if you could talk about the fact uh, just briefly that a lot of these incidents have involved those who have shown their press credentials. Barbara Davidson, whom we spoke to earlier, and I, I mentioned um, uh, Omar Jimenez and a CNN crew. There was also an incident in Long Beach with KPC reporter Adolfo Guzman uh, Lopez, who was hit in the neck with a rubber bullet. And uh, there was an incident that was written up in the New Republic of a young woman who was out there as a freelancer, and uh, she was actually hit in the eye and lost her eye with a rubber bullet. So there have been some pretty terrible uh, incidents that have occurred here, and tragic incidents. But there are also a lot of people who are out there who are not necessarily working with newsrooms. I talked about this with Barbara Davidson a bit, uh, and the newsrooms don't function like they used to, but you also have journalists who are not, uh, sort of self-created journalists. Uh, how much do we see that as being a problem in all this? Well, well let, me, let me make two uh, separate points. The first is that the nature of local media has shifted tremendously. There are fewer uh, journalists covering local police departments who have relationships with police. And that actually undermines their own safety because those relationships are critically important. Uh, in terms of safeguarding, in terms of you know when when there's an issue, the journalists and the police might have a relationship. So that has shifted across the country. As you mentioned, there are more freelancers, there are more informal journalists out there. But the data, the initial data that we're seeing, um, suggests that the majority of these attacks are against journalists working for established media organizations. Some of them working with security advisors, appropriate equipment. Uh, camera crews, protective gear. So I don't think that's, that's it's, it's, it's simply that journalists are out there and they're freelancers or they're informal journalists and the police don't recognize them. I think that really what we're seeing evidence of that alarms me greatly is that um, many of the journalists who have been uh, targeted or attacked in these demonstrations are working for established media outlets and are visible as such. Well, some have described it. I'm talking about Columbia University School of Journalism. Bruce Shapiro uh, said this is uh, now a culture of impunity when it comes to attacks on the press and abandonment of press freedom as an American value. Uh, do you see it as that serious? In other words, are we seeing here an attack on democracy and it's vital in much sense? Absolutely, but it's multifaceted and it's, and it's systemic. I think you have to separate there's an interplay between them, but there are several dynamics at play. One is the sort of the collapse in local journalism across the country. So as I mentioned, police and journalists have a historic relationship. It, has, it's, it's, it hasn't always been perfectly healthy, but uh, the police recognize that local journalists have a role in holding them accountable and reporting on their activities, and they have relationships. That has broken down. That's a fundamental threat to press freedom in the United States. Then we're seeing this kind of aggressive policing across the country that's, uh, that's actually fueling these protests and that has an impact on the ability of journalists uh, to cover these kinds of events. And then we're seeing uh, the kind of polarizing uh, rhetoric coming from the president of the United States that undermines the role of journalists in a democracy. And I want to say something else that I think is vitally important. 
it sends a terrible message to autocratic governments around the world who are cracking down on their domestic media even more fiercely in the wake of the coronavirus because they're able to use that as a pretext. The United States should be pushing back against those kinds of crackdowns. Instead, the president is degrading, undermining, uh, and, and, and attacking the work of the media. And what the world is seeing on television is journalists in the United States being beaten, being attacked, being arrested. And that's, that, I think, undermines press freedom, not only in this country, but as a shared democratic value around the world. Talking about police attacks on journalists during this week's protest with Joel Simon, executive director of the Committee to Protect Journalists. And we heard from Barbara Davidson, the Pulitzer Prize winning photographer and independent journalist who was shoved by an officer. And I want to read a response to Barbara Davidson's personal story from Kim, who said, did Barbara ever stop to think she was actually in the way of police officers that were trying to keep the peace? You can report on the matter without making a nuisance of yourself. You do not have the right to put others and yourself at harm just because you want to get a story. Some of these journalists clearly and purposely provoke the police officers. Good luck in finding anyone in the future who wants to join a police force. You can use technology to get up closer without being close enough to get in the way. What would you say to those sentiments, Joel Simon? I would say that person has never been out there doing any journalism. I mean, you know, you, there's, you have to, first of all, look, this is, this, is, this is about several different things. I mean, it's about the First Amendment, first of all, which there's no more essential value than uh, American value than freedom of the press, freedom of assembly. These are essential uh, American values codified and embodied uh, in the First Amendment. But more important than that is the norm that the police who are out there on the street have an expectation that they are accountable to the public, right? And that accountability is carried out in part by the ability of journalists to observe and document their activities. And police have begrudgingly accepted uh, that relationship. And I think that has fundamentally broken down. So it is, you know, we've seen throughout um, modern American history that police and journalists have reached an accommodation. That the, that the police have made way for journalists to perform their legitimate function, even as they carry out uh, these kinds of crowd control activities. That norm has broken down, and the police are no longer accepting the presence of journalists. And what that means for police and for American democracy is that there is less accountability. The police have freer reign to engage in um, activities, including police violence, that may um, result in the kinds of, 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 uh, of mass protests we're seeing right now. Um, you know, we need, we need journalists out there to keep the police accountable, to inform the public. And if that mechanism is broken, um, the, 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 the kind of temperature on the boiling water just rises. Another one of the uh, unfortunate new norms that we can be talking about. I want to read a tweet, though, that supports some of what you've been saying. This is from a listener who writes, attacking journalists is a critical step toward fascism. Combine that with unidentified law enforcement, police covering their badge numbers, and using bioterrorism weapons that aren't even legal in war, like tear gas on peaceful citizens. Is it any wonder why protests continue? Let me go to a caller, and that's you, Abby. Good morning. You're on the air. Hi, uh, good morning. So uh, yesterday, me and a lot of other students at SFSU uh, joined a peaceful march from Mission High School to uh, the San Francisco County Jail and Sheriff's Department, where we started a peaceful spin. 
I was sitting in front of a wall of officers. Uh, between us was a metal gate. Uh, there are multiple peaceful unarmed protesters leaning against this gate as we, it was very crowded and we were tired. And um, for about two hours, I was sitting next to an officer, Officer Wong, who seemed to have no problem with us on the gate. And he obviously had got tired and switched out with another officer. And the officer that replaced him, I think he was either Castillo or Patillo. I don't know because none of them were wearing badge numbers, only their last names. And um, he began to yell at protesters to get off the gate for no really apparent reason other than maybe he was unnerved. No other officers were asking people to do this. And uh, me and a couple other people said, no, we're going to sit right here. We're unarmed. And essentially, he uh, began to antagonize us and make uh, backhanded comments saying, oh, you know, you guys just don't care about anything, do you? You just don't want to listen to me. And I think this is really the problem is that officers oftentimes, just because they're wearing a badge, they use, they abuse their power and they think they can tell us whatever they want and make us do whatever they want, even if it's unnecessary. And um, that just really unsettled me because I'm 5'4", I'm white, I'm a girl, and I don't think I posed any threat. And it was obvious that he was the only officer that was agitated with us in that way. Abby, I'm grateful for you for telling your story, and I'm sorry you went through that. Uh, And uh, we're we're talking about journalists here, though. We talked a great deal about concerns over police. But I think, Joel Simon, you would probably agree that uh, journalists are necessary to put checks on the kind of police power that she and others are talking about here, I'm assuming. Um, But here's a question from a listener who says, how do the police protect themselves from people who dress and pretend they are pressed just to attack the cops and pillage? Yeah, I I haven't seen that happen. I I suppose there's always a risk that somebody could... um, uh, uh, you know, uh, pretend they're a journalist and, and, and use that uh, to carry out some sort of, uh, uh, you know, attack on the police. I've never seen it. Um, and I think that one of the things that, you know, one of the things I like to do is go back to the data, okay? Uh, maybe that's some scenario that the police are worried about. But, <clears throat> but what the data shows is that the majority of these attacks are directed um, against people who are clearly identifiable as journalists, who are wearing equipment that journalists wear, who have credentials, who are operating openly and professionally. You know, take the example of the uh, CNN reporter Omar Jimenez, who we saw um, arrested uh, on live television. Is there any doubt that the police uh, were not aware that he was a professional journalist uh, carrying out his responsibilities? Um, I don't think that they were uh, concerned for their safety in, in that moment. I think that we don't know precisely what their motivations were, but um, to suggest that it was a result of um, protecting themselves uh, against uh, some sort of imminent threat uh, defies credulity, and I'm, I, I think that I have not seen uh, cases of the, of the kind that uh, your, your uh, listener described. But Joel, you're also seeing, are you not, uh, some pretty direct attacks on reporters, uh, like we heard from David, uh, Barbara Davidson, even when they mm-hmm. show that they are Members of the press when they have the credentials. Exactly. I mean, and that and that's something that I keep emphasizing is not something we, we've ever seen before, where you have instances in which which journalists are clearly identifiable, in which they're uh, indicating uh, to the police that they are journalists engaged in their professional activities. And as I said, I have seen instances in which journalists 
in that situation were arrested, where the police simply said, you know, we, we don't know that you're a journalist, we're going to arrest you and, you know, we'll get this sorted out. I have not seen previously journalists being violently attacked by police when the police have every reason to believe that the individual is a journalist engaged in their professional activity. And I really can't explain why we're seeing this pattern of abuses across the country uh, other than that I, I believe it is a function of this kind of highly aggressive uh, militarized policing, which has become the norm when there are uh, public protests and demonstrations. Well, let me bring another caller on, and that's Chris, who's joining us from San Francisco. Who You were a journalist at what point, Chris? Uh, yeah, I was a, a photojournalist for the last 15 years. I worked at a lot of the major television stations here in the Bay Area. And I just wanted to comment on my experiences with these different protests over the years. I mean, Black Lives Matter, like the whole Berkeley battles, going back, Antifa, Occupy, all that. Um, I had experiences where I was beat up by both uh, protesters and police. Yeah. But I was always more afraid with the protesters because the police, you know, they have training. They have like a line that they won't cross. You know, they have they have a way that they're supposed to do things. But with the protesters, you never really know. You know, you don't know who you're dealing with. And um, I would just say that, you know, it's a difficult situation for the police. Like, uh, I kind of feel for them because they got thousands of people in their face and they're yelling. And, you know, we're trying to do our job as journalists, but we have to insert ourselves right in the middle of that. That's how you get the, that's how you get the good pictures. That's how you get the story. So it's, it's a difficult dynamic. And I would just say that, frankly, it's amazing that there haven't been more incidents where people have gotten seriously hurt. And uh, I'll take the response off the air. Thank you. Well, Chris, I thank you for the call. Actually, uh, I'm going to let your your response stand and get another caller on. That's Jess from San Jose. Jess, you're on. Yeah. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, so I was a journalism student at San Jose State. I worked for the Spartan Daily. And at that time, I was covering the uh, Occupy movement in San Jose at City Hall several years ago. Um, and there was a lot of trouble about, you know, uh, protesters or people who are there speaking their mind, um, having their cameras out, wanting to take the same photos or sort of spread what was going on. Um, and I think, as people have mentioned before, that really does murk the relationship between police and protesters and journalists. And I wonder, as we move more and more to sort of freelance workers and maybe independent people who want to uh, correctly share what's going on with these protests, if there could be some kind of accreditation where you learn about how to responsibly act as a journalist or how to responsibly interact with police um, in protest or maybe dangerous situations. I'll go ahead and take my response off there. All right. Thank you for that, Jess. It's certainly true in a lot of cases with professional journalism, isn't it, Joel? Joel Simon? Yeah. And, and I think that both your callers, actually, it's interesting, were identifying dynamics and, and, and realities that we saw previously in previous protests. Um, you know, journalists have been caught between the police and the protesters for a long time because there's a lot of hostility among demonstrators towards the mainstream media who they often feel, you know, they don't want their picture taken or they don't want, uh, they don't feel that the media re represents their concerns accurately. So I've seen that kind of hostility and, and I've seen it result in physical attacks on journalists. I've also seen, as your second caller described, uh, police really struggling 
to differentiate between the people who are accredited journalists and are professional journalists and uh, those who are informal journalists and may be claiming that they uh, are, are, you know, have some uh, uh, right to cover these, these events, but don't have any formal accreditation. But in this series of events that we've seen over the last week, I just want to say the data that we've compiled so far tells a different story. It tells the story of the overwhelming violence that is being perpetrated is being perpetrated by police. And at least early indications suggest that it's being perpetrated against journalists who are clearly identifiable as journalists. Joel Simon, good to have you with us. Appreciate your being with us. Joel Simon, again, is executive director of the Committee to Protect Journalists and Forum is produced by Judy Campbell, Tina Larberg, Ariana Prell, and Blanca Torres. Senior editor is Dan Zoll. Our engineer is Danny Bringer. Our interns are Michael King and Jameson Weiss. Executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. Chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.